Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Hallelujah. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and uh, take out your notepad, take out your pen. Uh, if you do the whole um, device thing your, or your phone or whatnot, go ahead and, 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 and take that out. We are going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Just go ahead and turn there uh, with me. 2 Peter chapter 1. When you're there, give me an amen. All right, all right. We got some fast people there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Give me an amen. Amen. Once you're there. All right. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. Write this down in your notes. It's, uh, we're going to continue with the same title. It's Make Every Effort. And we spoke about that. Make every effort, make every effort. And today, we're going to continue to repeat that, to make every effort. Um, in life, we could give up easily in certain things. Uh, we see that in marriages, the divorce rate is for years, right? They talk about it's over 50%. People just give up. Um, people walk away from their families. Um, people walk away from church, walk away from God. People walk away from friendships. Um, and that's the reality of us, humanity. We tend just to give up. We tend to walk away. And um, we don't get understand this call that, wait a minute, maybe I'm called to make every effort. Uh, to not necessarily give in so easily, uh, but to give myself more, much more freely. And I pray that it's been blessing you and that you, that you would really um, grow in that and that we would together. Last week, I, I got into this thought and I said, uh, where it takes us to a place where we ask this question, have you merely met Christ, remember that? Or do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I'm sure that many of us have had conversations with people that are like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. And you hug them and you love them. And you're like, a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord. Ten minutes later, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I think we're different kind of Christians. <laughs> uh, some friends got around them and they talked about how they were drunk last night and how they slept with this person. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I think the way we view following Jesus is totally different. And um, they're just at a, at a journey they're, they're just at a place that maybe you're not at, but there's a difference between just meeting Jesus, attending service, being part of a group. And, uh, there, there's a difference from that to having a personal, intimate relationship with him. And that's what transforms your life. And that's the difference. We, we spoke about his divine power last week and how we could thank the Lord for his divine power, as Philippians 3.10 says, where we could say scriptures like, Lord, thank you for this power. For this divineness that, that I could know you in the power of your name. How many of you are grateful that you not just meet him, but that you know him in the power of his name? The power of his resurrection. That I could share in all your good things, but Philippians says, but I could also share in your suffering. God is so good that he allows us to share in his goodness. He's so good that he also allows us to share in his sufferings. Because a true relationship suffers in the good and in the bad. If you want a relationship with God and you want it always to be all good, then I don't know what kind of relationships you've been in lately. Because every relationship is not always all just good. You have to take the good with the difficult. And you'll recognize that it's not necessarily bad. Your relationship with the Lord will take you through some difficult moments. And those are good moments. And what do you do? You share in his goodness but you take joy that you also could share in his sufferings. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that I could become like you. I'm just, I'm just making this personal. Philippians chapter 3. That I could become like you. That I could become like him. When I was little, we used to sing songs like, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. And he used to drink a Gatorade bottle. So I used to drink Gatorade bottles because I thought if I could drink like this, I'll grow. And if I could drink like this, I could jump. If I could drink this, I'll become like Mike. It never happened. <laughs> when I was little, I struggled because I, 
I, loved, I still love it. I love iron beer for all my Cubans. I don't Oh, I'm a Hispanic. Sorry about that. I should not have just signaled the Cubans out. My bad. You are allowed to love Irombet también as well. But this is not a lie. I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm not saying this. I've probably said this from the podium before. I used to drink iron beer because I thought that if I drank iron beer, I would get muscles like that guy when I was little. I was like, I want to be muscles like that guy. Well, you grow somewhere else. It's definitely not your muscles. All that sugar intake. But that, that's... that's I guess false advertisement there. But here we read in scriptures that, Lord, we can become not like all these other images and not like all these things, that our identity can be found in this thing, that we could become like him. Sometimes we read scripture so fast and we don't recognize, wait a minute, I could become like him. Becoming like you, Lord. And then in Philippians 4.13, he says this, where I can do all things, I can do all things through him because he gives me strength. You're weak, so you haven't been able to do, but you come and he gives you strength and now you're able to overcome and you're able to do that which you were failing at. How many of you have have struggled to overcome and then you've seen that his strength has come upon your weakness and now you could do all these things? It's, it's the beauty of sharing in these promises with the Lord. My, what I mean is sometimes we read scripture and we have a relationship. We come to church. We do life together. And we think like, whoa, God is so far and I'm so distant. I'm like over here on this little dot that's in the middle of the, of the, of the galaxy, whatever. And he is so far away. But when you read scripture, it's like, no, it's totally the opposite. When you're in a relationship with the Lord, he is so close. His proximity is, I mean, it's right there there he's right before you and if you could just take these scriptures these promises and no man I could become like him I could share in his power of his resurrection I could share in his sufferings I could become like him even in death I could do all things through him because he gives me strength he is so personal and real in my life But the reality is, ah, sometimes we're just so distant and so far. And that's what it is. It becomes religious. It becomes religion rather than relationship. It becomes say a little prayer. It becomes, you know, do a little thing. Say a little God bless you. Say a little prayer before you eat. You're a Christian. You sealed your day. Good. Your food is blessed. No, it's deeper than blessing your food. That's good. Thank God you're blessing your food. But it's, 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 wait a minute, this scripture is personal and it's personally written to me. This is a letter from heaven and it says, dear Regal, my beloved, and he gives it to me. Like, do you look at scripture like that? Like, this is his beloved letter for me, for my beloved. I am his bride and he is my groom. When... This is a ritual that you have when you get married. I don't know if you do it or if you did it. But supposedly right before you get married, the night before, you write a letter to your mate. Did any of you do that? All right, well, I fell for it. (laughs) Well, you're supposed to write a letter and maybe give a little gift and you give it to like the maid of honor or a good friend and they give it to to her and hopefully you get one back. But it's just like I can't wait for tomorrow for you to walk down. You say something like that. You know, I'm not going to give you what to write down, but you just say something, you know, you write something nice. But it's a letter that is written to your beloved before the groom and the bride come together. It's, 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 it's this letter that is written from the heart of the groom to his beloved. And, and here is this letter. And one day he's going to take me with him. And, I, and he's giving me a beautiful letter to his beloved saying, hey, I wrote you this letter because I'm madly in love with you. You're going to walk down the aisle with me. I am your groom and you are my beloved bride. No? All right. Verse 4. Let's go to 1 Peter. 2 Peter. Ah, I'm so used to saying 1 Peter. Forgive me. I'll do that for... I'll be preaching in Galatians one day. I'll be like, 1 Peter... Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We read this and it says, because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Amen? Promises. Listen, if you don't want them, just let me know. I'll take some of them. I'll take them from you. Lord, I, I received brothers, the promises. I'm joking, but you know what I mean. These are, he says, the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. And we said, and that these promises help you to escape the world's corruption. That is caused by human desires. Because of the promises of God. 
because of these scriptures that I just went into and I made personal, I'm able to escape the corruption of this world and live in the promises of the Lord. Have you been able to walk and live in the promises of the Lord? Or are you waiting for the day that you die or get like raptured up? And now on that day, I'll walk in the promises of the Lord. The promises of the Lord today are yes and amen over your life. Where are you? Through these promises, we said that we became, we became or we, we become partakers of that divine nature. We get to share, amazingly share in his nature. And we become increasingly like him. We escape the world's corruption that is caused by all the evil, sinful worlds, desires, lust, and God. We come to a relationship where he is above and beyond this world. Can everyone say God is above and beyond this world? And the corruption that is expressed through lust, through him we are above and beyond all the ungodly desires of this world. We said um, in 1 John chapter 2, for, the, for that that is in the world, remember that? Is the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life, and he who loves the world, the Father's love is not in him. We went into all that. All right, let's go into now verse 5, because we live above and beyond all of this. And Peter goes on to write to the church as we continue to flow through this letter. And in verse 5, he says, in view of all of this, everyone say all of this. Yeah, so Peter is saying something in verses 1 through 4. And he says, in view of all of this, out of everything that I've said, in view of all this, for, or, or another way that you could say this, maybe your translation says this, for this very reason, <laughs> in view of all of this, for this very reason, comma, I love this, make every effort. That's the title of the message today. In view of everything that I've just told you, or because of everything that I just shared with you, make every effort effort to respond to God's promises how are you responding to God how many of you can truly say God has blessed your life one and many amens so mostly all of you could say God has blessed my life that's amazing how have you responded to the blessings of God how have you responded to that Make every effort, he says, to respond to God's promises. What do we do, Peter? He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence, knowledge. And knowledge, self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. With me? Am I talking to anyone today? And if you struggle with self-control issues, you have anyone struggle with patience? And patience with and patience endurance with godliness. Anyone struggle with godliness or seven? And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Let me just read a little bit quicker this time. You make every effort to respond to God's promises. And he says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And here it is. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with, with self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love for everyone. And what Peter is saying is it's all connected to each other, to the fullness of Christ, to who you're called to be. It's all connected. So what is Peter saying in view of all this for this very reason? Well, in view of all of what? For the very reason of what, Peter? Well, he says it. For the very reason that you are partakers of his divine nature. And in view of his glory and excellence. That he's given us these great and precious promises. You make every effort. Because his goodness now has enabled you, me, has enabled us to escape the world's corruption. We make every effort. We, uh, 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 one way that you could break this down is you give all diligence. Giving all diligence Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Verse 5. We are partakers of a divine nature, but, but I need you to listen to this. Growth 
in the Christian life doesn't just happen to us. Oh, I'm a partaker of the nature of God. Amen. But you're still responsible to grow. I'm a partaker in the things of the Lord, but yet you're still mixed in foolishness, immaturities. And not that you are growing from them, you're just deep in them still. But that's what Peter is trying to draw the church from. What he's trying to tell the church is, yeah, you're partakers of it, but your growth, your growth, there's a responsibility. You're supposed to give all diligence in your walk with the Lord. You make every effort. Well, how do I grow in the Lord then? How do I continue to mature? This is why Peter says what he says. I'm not going to give anyone in this church, Peter says, any excuse to not grow in their faith. So what does he say? Supplement your faith. With generous provision, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. Grow by what? Putting on these things in your life. So let's look at some of these things. One of the first ones that we looked at was self-control. It's not something that we're not aware of. It's something that many of us could say, I know exactly what Peter is saying. Because I lack self-control in my life. Self-control does not mean that you just get mad and you go from zero to 100 and you stick the middle finger at the person that cut you off in the highway. That's not what self-control, that, that is, you have no control. That, but that's not the only thing. Self-control is that you fall for every kind of sin. You fall for all kinds of weaknesses at all times. Self-control is, is, it goes deeper as well. It's not just emotions, but it deals a lot with your mastering of emotions. Think about your self-control in your life, the spiritual self-control, the physical self-control, the self-control of your words, of your eyes, of your actions. So when you look at self-control, yes, we need to master our emotions rather than being controlled by them. How are we doing with the things that are controlling us that we're called to master over? We always go back and we pick on them a lot, but we can relate a lot to them, Our Adam and Eve in the garden, remember? We always go and we reference them a lot. You know, when we get to glory and they're there, they're going to be like, man, you guys always looked at the negative things, you know? If we did, there's a lot of positive things you could have mentioned about us. But the truth is, the tree was always there. It didn't just pop up one day and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that guy. God would put this tree there. No, the, when you were experiencing the goodness of God, when you were living and the lambs and the, and the, 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 the lions and the lambs were laying together, when, when, you, when, when, when everything was given to, I mean, when you were living blessed, that same tree with that same fruit that God told you not to eat from, it was always there. It did not just appear there. But one day, they decided, oh, maybe it's not that bad. They began to listen to false things, false voices, lies. They began to believe for themselves things that God told them totally opposite. We all know how the story ends, right? They take a bite. And many of us translate that scripture or interpret that scripture as they took a bite. They failed, they failed God way before they took a bite. The reason they took a bite is because they failed God. They didn't fail God when they took a bite. That was, that was the experience. That was them being exposed of what they've already decided in here. So when they took the bite, they're like, oh, no, glue it back on. Even if they would have done that, even if they would have done that, God would have still been like, nah, nah, you made the decision here already. Now, this is important because I feel like a lot of that was self-control too. Like she, she he, they lost control. What they could have done, said, they could have said, no, I need to have self-control with my passion and my desires. That tree and that fruit has always been here. But because God said no, then I need to have self-control and honor him and know that no is the answer. They lacked self-control in that moment as well. Think about what this means in our lives. He says perseverance, growing our perseverance. We're, we're responsible for that. 
So a person who exercises self-control is also a person who does not easily give in quickly to discouragement or the temptation to quit. That you view all circumstances coming from the hand of a loving father like we shared in Nahum chapter 1 during worship. This father, this loving God who's in control of all things. And that is the secret of my perseverance. That is the secret of the Christians, of, the, of those of the faith. Our perseverance is that, wait a minute, we serve a God who holds it all and is in full and total control. But what happens is when we lack control and, and there is no self-control in our lives emotionally and we're, we're wavering and we're all over the place, guess what also gets affected? Our perseverance and our walk now becomes smaller and our walk now becomes more limited and we begin to waver. We make turns where we should have kept going straight and there is no more perseverance in the Christian walk, in the faith, in our relationship with the Lord. And it's all because you lost control. Ever been there? Have you ever driven in... And, and you've just gotten lost? Have you ever driven because you were distracted? And that's the reason why you got lost? Two different things. I've driven because I've been distracted. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've, I've come to this church now for I don't know how many, 14 years, let's say. And I still, once in a while, will pass the exit. And I'm like, ah! And I get off in Miami Lakes in the traffic. It's not Palmetto's fault. I lost control. I got distracted. And I missed the exit. And the reality is, that's how mo many people, that's how a lot of individuals, they don't persevere. They give up too easily. They give up to temptations because there's no self-control. And because there is no self-control in their walk, it affects their perseverance. So because there is no self-control, man, they, they struggle with finishing the race. They don't finish the race. I mean, Judas had it. Judas was one of the 12. Judas, just, just pause for a moment here. Judas saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Judas picked up 12 baskets after maybe 15 to 20,000 people were fed with five loaves and two fish. I know the scripture says 5,000, but it could have been way more. Okay? And, and he saw miracles. He saw Jesus spit on mud and slap that mud in a blind man's eye and the blind man saw. He saw a little girl who was dead for days raised up from the dead. I mean, think about the things that Judas saw, for goodness sakes. He sat at the feet of Jesus. He slept next to Jesus. He lived with Jesus for three plus years. He did life with Jesus. This is what I'm trying to say. If someone that walked so close to Jesus, man, could be tempted and could fall out in the way that he did, I'm telling you that it's not too far from any of us. <laughs> Judas was there. Judas was right next to him. That's why I always tell you, I know what I'm capable of. And because what I know what I'm capable of is why I desperately need God. Judas was there. I mean, Judas knows things about Jesus that you will never know. Like his hair. Was it really straight or was it really curly? Was it wavy? His eyes, were they, brown? were they dark brown or were they really green or blue? Was Jesus 5'7"? I hope he was my height. Or was he 6'3"? How? He knows some of those answers. But he missed out on so much. For a little bit of money. He got, he got, he got sidetracked because they came to him and said, who can we get? Who, who is it that we can infiltrate? And they found the weakest link and it's Judas. Judas is the one that we could use. Why? Because he's lost control. Something caught his eye way more than his beloved did. And what was it? Money. And you know what, Judas? Let's have a meeting. And they called him over, these high-up officials. Hey, I'll give you this much. We'll give you this land. <clears throat> we'll give you this much silver. You know, just think about it. And, and Judas gives in. He says, deal. We'll be at the garden. You come with me. The man I kiss, that's the one you want. Judas, for goodness sakes. How did it end for Judas? Oh, it was a great end. Does anyone know what scripture really says how his end was? He hung himself on the tree, which the land that belonged to him, he hung himself on that tree. But it didn't just, he just didn't end there. What else happened to him? 
Dude, when he, when he fell, his, his insides, they blew up. What an ending. What a finish to a race. I don't want that story to be written about me. What do I have to do? I need to have self-control. Why? So I could finish the race and persevere. Make every effort. With perseverance comes godliness. So, so Judas, just his tail was told that pff, his insights came out. And there goes his money and there goes his land. And there goes his end. What a story, Judas. A man that lived and walked with Jesus. And that was his end. But then Peter. Do you know that from what we know in scripture, Jesus never told Judas, get behind me, Satan. But he did tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. But you know what Peter did with the Lord's correction? He took it in. You know what Peter's end was? Peter's end was Philippians. Where he says, I got to share in your sufferings. His end wasn't like Judas's. I mean, here we are. We're teaching from a letter of Peter. Have you ever taught from a letter of Judas, the betrayer? I haven't. We only what? We learn from his life. Here we are learning from a different disciple. From a letter that is written from Peter who made many mistakes, who said a lot of immature, dumb things. He spoke too fast. He acted too quickly. He thought he knew it all. He was a very zealous person. Peter was a man that is a lot like many of us. Not all of us, some of us. Like you, shouldn't, you were right even in, the, in, in how you said it, but you shouldn't have said it. So because you said it, it's wrong. The whole thing is wrong. Like, Peter, shh, learn, learn, Peter. And he, it almost seems when you read the life of Peter, like, when is he going to get it? When is he going to get it? But when you start reading First Peter and Second Peter, like, whoa, this older man has gotten it to the end of his life. His story is written different. He's not hanging on a tree where his insides are coming out, but he's hanging on a cross to say, I'm worthy now to come to a place to die my Savior's death. He finds worth in Jesus. How was his end? Persevered. Persevered. Why? Because, what is Peter saying? Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance now brings forth godliness. True godliness perseveres to the end. If it's not true godliness, the Lord's name will not be on it and will not be mocked. At some point, it has to stop. So we read and we find out about these amazing ministries, these amazing men and women. And at the end of their race, some of them have gone and they get exposed of who they really were. And all the news tells us all the stuff that they were doing behind in the secret and all the stuff that they had like, what? I went to their crusades. I, I downloaded all their preachings. And God says, you can't put my name on something and take credit for it. I am not a God that is mocked. You persevere and your perseverance leads you to godliness till you breathe your last breath. Make every effort. Peter uses the word <clears throat> of the need for Christians to be continually aware of God's presence and knowing that all of our life is in his hands and it should influence every aspect of our life and we should live for God and we should never live for ourselves. This world makes it very difficult and I'm going to be very transparent and honest with you. This world that we live in and especially this city that we live in and the accustomed of how we're accustomed to living it makes it very difficult to not live for ourselves. I struggle with not li I struggle with not, with not living for myself. I think I said it right, but you get it. Because man, it's it's difficult here. Sometimes it's just like, man, can we just pack up our bags and go somewhere crazy and radical for the Lord? Like, just do like sometimes that those conversations come like Nancy's like, oh, you know, we have the whole family. Don't forget about that. The kids are still young. Like, let's just go. Let's pack up our bags and go to the, let's go to the deserts of so-and-so. Like, just crazy things like that. You're reading too much. But it comes from a place. It comes from a place of 
I'm living for myself and it, it drives you crazy. Never. Godliness, we, we live for God. Amen? And then we have brotherly kindness. I've shared here many times that most of my issues in life have been through the church. <laughs> because of the church, I've been part of the issues. And some of the issues have just come to me. It's the brotherhood, the sisterhood, it's the family. We have problems in our family. How many of you have problems in your family? I do. We have problems in our families. So we come together and then we, be, we start to experience problems in what? In this family. Why? Because we're just problematic people. <laughs> got problems over there, we got problems here. I got problems here. <laughs> if I got problems here, what makes you think I'm not going to have problems here? It's just the reality of it. Don't you love an honest conversation? But you have brotherly kindness, Peter says. So how can I be more kinder to my brother, to my sister? Well, brotherly kindness is very linked to godliness. I've recognized that I'm meaner, more offensive towards another when I'm lacking godliness in my life. Why? Because it's about me. So what? I get offended with you. I get bothered by you. Or I just don't want anything to do with you. And then God's like, you are so ungodly. Brotherly kindness is linked with godliness. 1 John 4.20 says that if someone says, I love God. Everyone say, I love God. How many of you said that like in your prayer, in your walk, in your drive? I love you, Lord. If you are a liar, I, that's not me. This is 1 John 4.20, not me. But they just call, scripture just called you a liar, me a liar, us a liar. If you say you love God, but you can't stand looking at that person, you are such a liar. You don't love God. You don't love God. Jesus taught in John 15, 12 through 17, that love, what is it about? We talked about it in Mark chapter 10, for example. We spoke, I don't want to get into that because we went into that last week. But it involves serve one another. Share with one another. Pray for one another. Be last so that another one could be first. All those things. So if you truly say you love God, there is brotherly kindness within you, not brotherly friction. Your brotherly friction isn't doing no good for you, for them, or for the kingdom. Godliness leads to brotherly kindness. Do you lack godliness? And because you lack godliness, are you lacking brotherly kindness? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. It's that boss, that coworker. Oh, they walk in, it's good morning. Oh, here she is with that coffee breath. And it starts. And it starts. And it starts like, hey, godliness and brotherly kindness. This is the time. Oh, I have a, I have a perfect and a beautiful homework for you. Just thought about this. Whoever you struggle with brotherly kindness, maybe that's the person this week that God is calling you to serve. All right, let's go back to this scripture. <laughs> Who should I serve this week? I've done so well. I came and I served at church. I, came, I did my best this week. I did my devotionals every day. All right, let's talk about who your eye is despising. Maybe you could serve them. All right, brotherly kindness, then there's love. Love is referring to not the world's kind of love. The world's kind of love fails a lot. It's God's kind of love. It's God's love. God is love. It's defined by love. Love defines God. God defines love. I think I, think I said it right that second time. It refers to God's kind of love, which comes from, originates, not in the one love, but in the one who loves. God is not, okay, maybe I could explain it this way. God is not love because he sits on his throne. He's so ferocious and scary and, oh, the whole world loves me, so I'm God. God is love. God is love because he offers love and he gives love. So if I were to tell someone, I love you, like if I were to tell my wife, I love you, how will she know, truly know if I love her? Not because we're married and obviously I gave you a ring and we got two kids and duh, that means I love you. No. True love for another person is you give your love to them. And that defines you as love. That's love. Love is something that you give you're not loved because that's what you receive. 
And that's the beauty of God, because he's God. He could easily say, I'm love, and, I, and, and I'm God, and I sit on my throne, and the whole world loves me. And you're like, you're right, you're God, you're love. But we fall at his feet, because not only is he loved, but he gives love, and that defines him. Because if you're anything like me, if I was God, I would have not have loved me. <laughs> And yet he chose, he decided, he wanted to love me. Are you with me on that? So because of that, I say God is love. Not because I love him, but God is love because he's loved me. That's powerful. It's very powerful. He is love, and we are to love. Why am I to love? Rudy, my gosh, I don't want to love you, brother. I say that because I do love him. But I love him because I'm from God and we're called to love. That's the nature of who we are. Hey, we just started this, passage, this, script, this message with, thank you, Lord, for your divine nature. Did you mean it or not? That's part of his divine nature. I get to give love. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to verse 8. Because I have a feeling we're never going to end here. It says, the more you grow like this, you see this? The more you grow like this, after we've defined all of that, the more you grow like this, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> like sometimes I, I listen to, sometimes I, I hear certain people share the word of God and, and they have all this knowledge sometimes, you know? And sometimes I'm just like floored. I'm like, my God, I have a headache because there's so much knowledge. But then I see them and they're aggressive. And they're mean. They're bashing people. They're, I have the knowledge of God. My theology is the right theology. Everyone else is this and oh, kill them all, break. We're the best. And I'm just like, oh, it's not love. And that scares me. That freaks me out. I'm like, oh, tune it. I got to change it. Different, different kind of preacher. I got to read a different kind of book. I can't. Because that's not the nature of God. That's not the heart of Jesus. And that, that's what I, that's what look, what, look what Peter is saying. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just, it's not just in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, but you'll be useful and productive in it. In how you display it. Knowledge is not... Knowledge of Christ, all right, I got to go on, ready? Because sometimes we do have to walk, come against the enemy, come against false doctrines, like Peter's going to do here in, in chapter 2 and say no to the false teacher and expose them and remove them from the camp because why? The sheepfold need to be protected from wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. Yes, we do got to expose those things and remove them from the camp. But what Peter is trying to say here is something deeper than that. It comes from the root issue of the inner being of each person. That it's not just knowledge to prove yourself. It's a knowledge that transforms yourself. It transforms you. I love how the New King James says it. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither, love this, barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that because of your knowledge, you're going to bear fruit. What does the Bible say? You know a man by his his fruit. Do you see how scripture is all connected? So if I know a person by, the, by its fruit, because they're a tree that produces fruit, here is Peter in 2 Peter, and he says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. You are going to bear fruit. Verse 9, he goes on to say, but those who fail to develop in this way, they're short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So the presence of of, of all these things, of, the, of these qualities in our lives. These things mark a healthy person, a healthy, if you want to say, Christian. And it, it assures that I'm going to be productive in my walk, in my life for the Lord. But those who fail to develop these things, they're just blind, they're short-sighted. They don't see the end goal. They don't see, what does Paul say when he writes his letters? He says, I've what? 
His eye is towards the prize of the upward call. He's looking at the end. He's not short. I love this, that the apostles are teaching the church, don't live short-sighted. You live for the goal. The goal is not this world. The prize is eternity with Jesus. Man, it's beautiful. Sorry. It's good. And that's what he's saying. And Peter is echoing the same thing. Don't lack fruitfulness, the lack of it in a believer's life. It's caused by blindness, by forgetfulness. Don't be a short-sighted person who looks only at the earthly and the material things, earthly and material values in this world, the things that are close at hand, and you don't see the eternal spiritual realities. I get it. You want good things. I get it. You want the best. I get it. All these things are very enticing, but you never live for this world. Your eyes are always on the eternal spiritual realities that one day will consume your whole being. Don't be concerned only with this present life, its problems, the issues it brings, the news, the fights, the wars, the blues, the reds, the the politics of this world. All that stuff is trying to distract you from the kingdom of heaven. I'm this camp, I'm that camp, I'm this, I fight for this, I fight for that truth, I fight. Fight for heaven. Stand for glory. Stand for the scripture, stand for his word. Don't be so concerned with only this present life and all the little fights and the bickerings and the complainings and the, and the camps. If we're going to be concerned with anything, man, we become concerned and we turn ourselves fully over to Jesus. That's where my concern is. That's where my awe is. Not to forget that he's cleansed me out from this filthy, sinful world. So, dear brothers, he says in verse 10, and sisters, you work hard. Make every effort. You work hard. You work hard. Everyone say work hard. And you're like, oh, my God, I like to work easy. If I'm going to work, i got to find the easy way. Not in the faith. In the faith, you work hard. The faith is not for easy workers. The faith is for hard workers. That is why the hard workers make it to the end. The easy workers, they just fall off in the race. You work hard. How are you slacking in ways that God has called you to work hard in? That's between you and him. You work hard, and you work hard to prove, he says in verse 10, that you are really among those that God has called and chosen. You probably read this, and you're like, I don't have to prove to anyone. That scripture, like, no one can judge me. I don't have to prove it to anyone. No, you have a lot to prove to everyone, and that is that you belong to Jesus with your life. You live proving yourself to this world that there is someone different inside of you. Well, I don't have to live proving myself. Well, then you don't believe the same scripture I believe in. You walk to prove yourself true to this world, to the witnesses of this world. You do these things and you will never fall away, Peter says. I love how Tony Evans explains this. He says, to make every effort to confirm your calling and your election is not about making sure you're saved. It's about making sure you are spiritually productive. I know I'm saved. Do you know you're saved? Because if not, we really need to go back to like Salvation 101. Do you know that God has saved you? All right. Amen. So you're not like fighting every day. Oh my God, am I still saved? 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 You guys know already that you're saved, right? All right, good. Here's the deeper question. Are you being spiritually productive though in your salvation? Let's get past the salvation. Amen. We're saved. If you're one of those that gets saved every day, do it. If that's what makes you happy, like say the prayer every day and get saved. But, but the question is, it's through in my salvation, I am I spiritually productive. He says this, that the purpose of your election is service, not just individual salvation. Don't just get stuck on individual salvation. Where is your service in that salvation? I thought that was good. Good insight from Tony Evans. So I had this question as I was reading the scripture, and I think I kind of asked it or said it already. You're not satisfied with just your salvation, are you? Hopefully it's like, no, I can't just be satisfied with my salvation. Meaning, from here I do something. You make every effort. And if I'm going to make any effort, I'm going to make every effort to confirm my calling, my election. Make every effort to serve, to be spiritually productive. Make every effort. Because of my salvation, I live out my life this way. Not I live out my life however I want because I may am truly saved. That doesn't make sense. You live your life because you are saved. Amen? Verse 11, he says, then God will give you a grand entrance. I love this. We're coming to an end here. Look what he says here. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
I've never had a close experience to this. But I, I could tell you a story of my closest experience to what this may feel like. And it probably blow, it's going to blow it out of the water. He says, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. A grand entrance. I remember when my, a friend of ours, Tito might have been in that wedding, got married. And me and my buddy decided, hey, let's dress alike. So we both wore suits. And this is, we were very young, okay? Don't judge us. We were very, very young. And, and at that time, we wore suits with these bright shirts under, like a silky shirt under the suits, under the, under the suits. And I, I think he wore like a, a, a yellow, bright yellow shirt open with his gold chain, right? And then I wore this bright red shirt. And we got to the wedding super late. And uh, it, it's, it's a funny story. We're young. We're, we're, we're maybe like 21 years old or something like that. And, and we got there late and the bride is about to like enter. The court was already walking in. And we come in through the door and we walk into the sanctuary. And every eye just comes on us, woof, because we walk in with, and, and we look like just two, uh, you know what we look like. I don't say what it looks like. Like gold chain, the shirt's out, one is bright yellow, the other one's bright red, in a suit, and we just walked in. I think one of us had like lines in our head, and we just walked in, and, we, and, and, and to this day, everyone was like, man, you guys almost got like, they noticed you guys more than the bride, like, why'd you guys do that? Dumb, immature things that you do when you're young, you know. But I love the scripture because it reminded me of that day that we did that. One day, the Lord is going to give me grand entrance into his eternal kingdom. Woof, walk in good and faithful servant. Popping the gold out, popping the chain, I'm here, I'm home. One day, he will give you a grand entrance into his eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom of our Lord, verse 11 says, and Savior Jesus Christ. Everyone say grand entrance. Not a small entrance, not a little entrance. You're going to have one day in Christ Jesus a grand entrance into the glory of the Lord. I mean, crowns will be placed on your head with many jewels. Yeah, I know, you're going to give them back to the feet of Jesus because he's that glorious. But still, it's going to be majestic and beautiful and glorious. Grand entrance. And Peter is distinguishing that I'm not, just living a, I'm not just living a life where I barely make a kind of entrance into the eternal kingdom, into the rich, riches and abundance of, of this grand entrance of this kingdom. Instead, he's like, I'm making it. I'm going to make it. One day there is a grand entrance for me. And the scripture, it indicates this, that fruitful and faithful living here, here on earth. Come on, listen to me for those that are struggling to make every effort. I'm telling you that it's showing us through scripture, fruitful and faithful living here on earth will be, will be rewarded by a greater privileges and rewards in glory. Oh, this earth could be difficult and it could be great at times. But I'm telling you that for the rewards of this earth, it's for greater and more glorious rewards in heaven. I hope all of you understand that. We've exhausted that here. Make every effort. Verse 12 through 15. Let's flow. He says in verse 12, Therefore, Peter writes as he's continuing in this beautiful introduction that one day we'll have this grand entrance. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and you're standing firm, or you could say you are established in the truth that you've been taught. It is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. I love that verse. We started off last week with this verse. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. Verse 15. So I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things after I'm gone. How is Peter living his life? He's living it hard for Jesus. He's working hard. He's not like, I'm old, I'm retiring. People always say, hey, but you know, one day you have to retire. And I'm looking at the end of your life. I'm like, I don't plan to retire. If I retire, I'm gone. I want to be like Peter and Paul that I'm preaching to the day that I die. Like, that's, that's what they lived. It's not like, uh, we don't get into ministry to one day retire. We get into ministry to die in it. This is what you give your life for. For the cause of Jesus. So, Peter, at the end of his life, as he's writing this last letter, he's hurrying it up because he's about to die. He says, for our Lord has shown me that I'm going to leave this life. But I'm going to work hard to make sure that you always remember these things. Even when I'm gone. I'm leaving a legacy that you guys are going to follow. 
You're not going to say that Peter, Peter, that Peter didn't leave you a legacy. You're going to say that Peter left us stuff to live on. There's an urgency in Peter's writing here. Did you catch this? It's not for the, for the reason that these Christians have failed. That's why he's writing. Oh, you Christians, you're failing, so I have to write you this letter. That's not why he's writing. But it's from the, it's from the, the future reality, or you could say the impending reality of his own death. So because of that, he writes with such urgency. I'm gone. I'll always remind you, verse 12, about these things, even though you already know. You know that a sports team, you look at the Olympics that just started, going for the championship practices, and they practice the same things over and over. They do this. But I already know the techniques. I know. How many of you played basketball growing up? Any of you? Didn't it frustrate you that before every game, what did you do? Layups, and they make you do layups? We all know how to do layups. It's the fundamentals. It's to know the techniques. If you know these, these fundamental things, you're going to have victory. Defense, what do you do on defense? Always lift up your arms. Lift up your arms. Why? If the ball flies over your head, like there's certain ways. Always keep the, keep the fundamentals. And what is Peter writing? Christians, you never get tired of hearing the basics. You never get tired of hearing the word of God. You rejoice every time Jesus, the gospel, the plan for our lives that it has is preached. You rejoice because these are fundamentals that will continue to establish us for the coming glory. Amen? Amen. To win the victory. It establishes us. Strengthens us. The urgency is here in Peter's heart. And that's what he's saying. I, shortly, I put off my tent. Some of us, this is what I end with. So you can start, just come up, play something soft here as I close up. I'm going to read verses 18, 19, 20, and we'll close up. But I want to close with this. Not, I want to start closing with this thought. Some of us in this room, have you ever thought about this? I mean, we say here all the time, and it's not because we're constantly thinking about death, but just because the death tool is a reality, and it should be a, a glorious reality to all of us. But Peter here is saying, shortly I put off my tent. Peter considered his body no more than just a tent. A tent. A tent if you've been camping, a tent, if you've ever used one, popped one up, it's a temporary place. In these days, a tent was a temporary place to live. The presence of the Lord in the wilderness, it resided in a tent. But that was temporary because then he had a new tent, a new tabernacle in which his presence would reside in. And guess what? Just like the Old Testament this New Testament tent is also temporary because one day I will reside with him in glory. Ever thought about that? So you woke up today. I know, I'm going to wow you for a moment. I know it's very dark. It's going to get dark now. You got dressed. You got all beautiful. Decided to come to church. But the reality is for every single one of us, today means... I'm one day closer to my death. That's crazy. I know no one likes to live like that. Don't live like that. In the sense of like, be gloomy. Live like that to be happy. To impact someone's life. To do something for the kingdom. If you're going to live like that. But in this house and those that we know, some will have to put off their tent sooner than others. We've all have had someone that have been close to us that has put off their tent. And they're no longer here. I'm telling you that they're there. They're still here. They're still there. But they're just not here. They've put out their tent. Come on, make every effort. Why? Why? Because one day, you will be removed from this tent. And when you're removed from this tent, what's going to show? What's there? Because that lives for eternity. That lives forever. So Peter says, shortly I put off my tent. The temporary place. Yes, tents should be taken care of. But you're not going to invest into really fixing a tent. But you save. 
you keep and you use real resources for something that is more permanent. Somewhere where you can have a place to live. If I were to tell you, oh, but I want to look for a place to live, I have a corner right here, a pop-up a tent. You can live there with your family. We have ACs, we'll connect it. It's a beautiful place. You're going to be I'm not going to put all my money into that. I want a place where me and my family could permanently live. A place that one day I could give to my children. From the scope of eternity, what does this mean to us? That our more permanent place to live, it's heaven. So am I fixing, am I fixing up earthly homes so that my children can live in? In the spiritual realm? Or am I preparing, are you preparing your followers? Are you preparing those you lead, those you do life before, those that you show and prove your election and all that stuff to? Those individuals. Are you building for them? Investing in a more permanent place, showing them that heaven is their future, heaven is their tent, heaven is truly our physical body. That's where you belong. We get so worked up in this world. Last week we prayed for Cuba and Colombia, Venezuela, Haiti. We prayed for all these countries because everything that's been happening here in Cuba. And we get so worked up on this earth. But the reality, we're like, at the end of it, you put your head on the pillow and you're like, oh my God, I'm not even from here. I'm here, but I'm not of here. This guy's gone one day. And the foolishness of this earth, it will remain, but I'm gone. Peter writes with urgency. Maybe it's because Peter was, maybe it's because he's getting old. Because the flames of persecution were getting closer to him. It was, life was getting harder for him. We know that Peter died a martyr's death. The Lord told Peter that. If you remember in John 21, he told him, I assure you that when you're young, you tie your belt and you walk wherever you wanted, Peter. But when you grow old, Pete, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Peter, one day you're going to be on the cross like me. You might not want to go there. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, Peter, follow me. Peter believed in the words of Jesus that were prophetic over his life. And his words, I'm to fulfill them literally. Jesus showed Peter you're going to die as a martyr. And Peter believed it. Even if you wish, oh, maybe that's just symbolism that Jesus is using. No, Peter. So make every effort because one day you're gone from this earth. So I finish with these last two verses. If you allow me, I changed my page here. Let's go to 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. I love this. And they spoke from God. What is Peter doing here as we close up? this chapter what he's doing is he's about he's introducing prophecy and prophets and false prophets now because that's what he's going to get into now next week when we get together I don't want to get into all of this because we'll get into it next week but I wanted to introduce it because that's what we're going to be talking about but Peter says that the words of the Lord the prophecies of God they don't come they don't come from the will of man from human initiative but these are men these are prophets one, one translation says holy men of God that are moved by the Holy Spirit they're moved by the Holy Spirit they're carried along like a ship would do in the old days with its sail 
So I close off with this because we don't want no falseness. We want only truth in our lives and in this place. So I say to you, as you examine your life there and as we close up this message, you're a ship, a ship in the middle of the sea and you put your sail up and what are you doing? You're just, you're just taken by the move of the Spirit. You're taken by the move of God. You speak as He speaks. You go as where He goes. You do as what He tells you. You live in the obedience of where His wind takes you. Obedience to where the Word takes you. And you make every effort. You're holy men and women of God that are moved by His Spirit. You make every effort. I love all the dynamics that Peter is poking at. Peter is one who you could maybe relate to and say he had maybe a form of um, staying on task with a topic maybe. I like Peter because he reminds me a lot of me where his mind's everywhere. Maybe you could say, well, I read a lot of Peter and maybe he had some ADHD kind of thing or ADD. And I said, maybe. But man, he's touching awesome things. <laughs> he's like throwing darts. I got to make sure all of you get this because I'm going to die very soon. Any minute now, they're going to come and get me out of my cell. And he's throwing darts and he's hitting every bullseye he can before he goes. And every throw is to make you, make us, make the church that he was pastoring a more mature person in Christ Jesus. And he's telling the church, make every effort every effort while you're still there while you're still there sometimes I think about this would Peter have ever can you imagine if he would have known the day he died that thousands of years later we're still going to say the things that he wrote the things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write make every effort Peter's like in heaven maybe the Lord opens the window and Peter's right here looking at us today with the with angels heaven's opened up around us can you imagine that if your eyes could see maybe there really is no roof here maybe over us there's massive angels and Peter's looking down and he's like they still use my letter they still talk about the things that I wrote Lord and he says yes Peter because all heaven and earth will fade away but my word remains forever so the words that were written through you remain forever. They're going to be spoken to this generation just like they were generations before. And Peter, because of your obedience, because you made every effort, guess what else, Peter? What, Lord? What is it? What is it? Tell me. Tell me, Father. Tell me. <laughs> Not only is this generation and past generations going to get it, but you see his boy? You see his little girl? One day, they're going to get it too. And the next generations and the next generations... Your word is never going to fade away because it's my word, Peter. It's going to move on forever. And Peter's just looking at us right now. And he's like, whoa, I would have never thought this when I wrote this to Asia Minor. I would have never thought that a church in the Hialeah, Miami Lakes area would still be talking about stuff that I talk, talk to, to those in Asia Minor. I can't believe it. it's still happening today. And we're like, yes, Peter, thank you for making every effort because of your faith. Here we are, Peter. Here we are. Here we are, Paul. Because of your faithfulness. Come on, church, I'm closing right here. Because of your faithfulness. Because you made every effort. When the Lord opens up the windows of heaven, who's going to thank you and say thank you? Thank you, Gerson. Because I'm here because of you. Thank you, Jenny. Because I'm here because of you. Because you made every effort. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to be like Judas. I want to be like Peter. Peter. With his big mouth. With his mess ups. But he had a heart after God. I desire to follow the steps of Paul and Peter who 
follow the steps of Jesus. Let's go. Make every effort. Close your eyes with me. Lord, we thank you. Because in this room, you have spoken your word to your people. You have spoken your truth. And who knows what each story is? You only know it to its depth. But Lord, I pray just a blessing of courage and strength, of godliness. Perseverance of self control. I pray that we'd be men and women that make every effort. Because this tent will soon go. But as this tent is, will be gone, my new tent will be, my new home would be glory, the glories of heaven. Lord, I, I long that as I go and live in the glories of heaven that my life would leave a legacy of Christ. That my life would leave a legacy of the gospel of Jesus. That it would leave an impact for this world. And with that, Lord, that I would not get so caught up with the things that are short-sighted. But that, Lord, I would be caught up by the things that are above, above and beyond what I could ever imagine. Help me to live in such a manner. Help me to make every elf effort. Help us, Lord. So we thank you for such a beautiful morning as this. We humble ourselves before your presence. It's in Jesus' name. Together we say, amen. Come on, give him the greatest praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. This is what I would love for you to do before you leave and before you give each other a brotherly kiss and hug and greet each other. Hopefully you do that well. But please don't forget a couple things. If you could give a $5 for a $5 meal, $10, $20 on our app for those newborns, newborn families. I don't know. You know what I mean. And if you could um, register for baptism, if that's something that you're looking for, we, we ask that you would take care of that. It would be a blessing uh, to give to those families and to also have you get baptized very soon. Amen. Remember, you are loved. Have an amazing week. And make every effort as you walk out these doors. Amen. God bless you guys. Give each other a hug.